five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Stories of the Christmas Drawer. This is season four, episode thirteen. If only we took the opium. And it is September third, two thousand twenty-one. And for the last two weeks, we saw the debacle that was the f military withdrawal from Afghanistan, and how bad that was handled. Mostly from the U.S. government communicating with our allies, our friends, and the people on the ground that we were supposed to extract before this all happened. And, you know, it's just, it's a terrible thing. NATO got, got completely f caught flat-footed on this because apparently they didn't tell anyone. The NATO was not informed that the United States was going to be doing this. And it just seems like it was almost set up to fail. I mean, conspiracy theory could go a long way, but it seems like it was done in a way, potentially, that the Americans might consider and might need reinvasion. And some people from previous administrations who are high up are saying that might be a possibility to make sure that Afghanistan does not become a terrorist haven. Ugh. <coughs> I don't know what to say about it. <coughs> it's just... This is just ridiculous. This is this is so beyond stupid. Um, not the how the pullout happened. Not that the pullout happened. The withdrawal needed to happen. The near twenty-year war needed to end. And March sixth, uh, August fifteenth, could have been done way better. Am I happy? All the, the people, the troops are out of there. Yes. Am I happy? The war has sort of like we've turned a page. The chapter is done. Is it over? No. Um, Afghanistan is at least temporarily over. And I'm saying temporarily right now because I don't believe it's not completely done yet. I have suspicions. Just a little bit. But it seemed like as chaotic as it was until August 26th, it was like, this is bad. But at least no American forces have died yet during this pullout. And then, of course, we get the Suicide bombers who killed 13 American soldiers and w killed like w like almost a hundred Afghanistan and other civilians and harmed many many more. Um, ICE, the ISIS branch that's in Afghanistan, ISIS K is claiming responsibility for it, and it just seems like since that happened, there's been a lot more information that's been coming out, such as. Joe, Joe, uh, President Joe Biden's administration not really being effective or um, not taking security of Kabul seriously, such as the fact that apparently when uh, the, uh, the Taliban were approaching Kabul had said that they are willing to stay outside of it and the U.S. and Afghanistan army can secure the city during the evacuation because the Taliban really want the Americans and NATO out. They they don't want the Americans there. And pretty much they didn't like it how they got invaded in 2001 post 9-11. But they kind of want to go back to their own country and they want to be in control again. And they would rather it be sort of peaceful in exchange. And granted, their peaceful is get the Americans, get the uh, foreigners out, and then start going through and finding the people we don't like and dealing with them. And of course, now they have tons of current generation military hardware from the United States and from our allies. <sighs> Just bad. 
That's just bad. So, what happens next? What happens next in this? NATO was shaken, as I said. This affects the political backblast is affecting the Americans. Um, Joseph Biden and his, uh, his whole administration is looking like they got a bloody nose on this. Um, the Liberal Party in Canada is also being knocked for this. And aside from them not being very effective at saying, hey, you need to get to the airport and get out of here, and talking about how we processed all these visas, as much as I dislike Trudeau and the Liberal Party, I mean, they could have done more, they really weren't involved in this besides from trying to take people. But it's also one of those things where why did you only seriously consider this withdrawal right up to, like, just before it happened? It seemed like me taking a test, like, oh, I'll study for the test the night before the test, versus, but, versus, like, you know, planning out, staging, studying, going over topics ahead of time. Why weren't we bringing those people out ahead of time? Why weren't we communicating with them ahead of time? Why was, um, you know, Trump put it in May, like, May 1st was the original deadline, I think. And then Biden pushed it back to originally September 11th, then it became August 31st. Uh, the problem is here is that those dates didn't seem to resonate with the world leaders until all of a sudden reality was happening. And I don't think it really hit most of the world understanding, oh, this is actually happening until Bagram, when, and that was when Bagram Air Base was essentially abandoned in the middle of the night by the United States and just like left to be looted. And I think that was that might be uh, going down as one of the largest single flaws of this withdrawal was taking a strategically strong position and just throwing it away. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm like, this seems a little odd. Now, granted, one of the one of the good best phrases involving political positions in the world um, is don't blame, don't subscribe malice where incompetence would do. And it seems like there's a lot of incompetence going on in the upper echelons of the United States uh, Department of Defense and various sections of the um, of the administration involving this, and the State Department. Let's uh, let's not forget the State Department seemed to just be this, and the fact how we're now hearing the State Department meant uh, didn't really help get people out effectively, and then they didn't have the DoD waive the. Um, the animal rights, so thus we left service dogs, Americans left service dogs behind, and then there were also rescue animal organizations that are now stuck behind there, how they didn't get all the American citizens and residents out that were supposed to get out, how apparently there's, there was at one point, um, this hasn't been completely confirmed yet, and I don't know if they got out or not, but there was school kids from California who were there. Now, they may have been evacuated and just weren't able to communicate through the third-party nation they were going through to get them out. But, you know, it seems like uh, the State Department went from, we're going to get everyone out to, well, time's up. And it also seems like the military who wanted the armed forces that were there wanted to go out and rescue people. It seems like the bureaucrats and the political officers were the ones who were in charge and said, no, don't do this. And it just, it seems terrible. So, yeah, there's going to be political BS from this, and who knows what the uh, long-term effects of that will be. Hopefully nothing too insane. Um, I mean, the U.S. has to end this conflict. 
or at least put a bookmark saying like this is the end of this type of conflict like we can't just keep fighting the war on terror we need to have quantifiable military objectives that can be known and we're not going to nation build like afghanistan i don't think like has seen like afghanistan's seen war since 1975 it's not seen a real peace it's been a fractured country post the soviet invasion the americans wanted to unify it but wanted to do it by nation building a western democracy in a country that probably had too much you know i would say post-traumatic stress disorder from the soviet coup and followed invasion and then with all the religious extremists going in as mujahideen to in to fight back the soviet invasion i think there was it went from a country that probably could have been morphed into a western democracy but then it was just we used you to be the soviets back and then we left you alone it's one of those things where i believe uh you could look at the um charlie wilson's war the movie and a lot of people will say, well, you know, we armed the Taliban, we armed the Mujahideen, that the, and some of those became Al-Qaeda that then committed terrorist acts in the United States. And that is definitely true. That definitely did happen. But you wonder if you could go back in time to when the Soviets were kicked out, if the Americans had went in there, not with guns, but with aid to help the country, could things have been different? It seemed like it was more important to buy the weapons back than it was to be like, hey, um, we know you defeated the Soviets and your cities don't have effective running water. We'll help you do that. And, of course, now we're going to see the Taliban's probably not going to have the ability to maintain the advanced infrastructure of um, the Hamid Karzai International Airport. Um, probably not going to be able to maintain their air force and helicopter wing that they now have. Um, I'm suspecting that various systems of the American equipment that they don't sell to China and Russia and other pure adversaries for money is probably going to start failing in a few years. Like, they're, oh, we got these night vision goggles. Well, are, are you going to be able to maintain power plants that are going to make sure that you keep night vision goggles? Like, there's going to be things here. And one of my friends pointed out Afghanistan has almost no railroads, which means that you, you're either flying or you're driving or carrying equipment. And, railroads for a country that's landlocked is probably the easiest way to transport stuff. And there's harsh terrain in that country that makes railroads hard to do, but in some areas of the country, you could totally do railroads to, with neighboring countries. And it seems like Afghanistan not having that is also a issue. And, and there's been the cultural issue of the war that's happened post the Soviet invasion, where maybe it would have been better to make Afghanistan a multiple of multiple smaller countries instead of one single country that had no real unifying ma power to it. And the only unifying power was the government in Kabul that was largely corrupted by American financing once they chose who was going to go in there. There's reports that Afghanistan's corruption was largely supported by the United States State Department because they were bribing so many people to be on the American side. <sighs> and just other things that they had to look away from it. it it's terrible. So now it's going to be eventually a failed state. Um, the power expended by the United States on this country just like... I mean, it, it's terrible to say it was worthless. Because so many people s served there and died. You know, we had multi-thousand American, Canadian... Canadians were, in the were only in the hundreds, but still were only in like the, high, the hundred 
uh, for 100 personnel killed. And I think it was like 120, 130 maybe. Um, but still, that's terrible. And then all the money and technology and knowledge thrown on this. I, I feel like this conflict should have ended a decade plus ago. Like, um, I don't know, when the Americans thought of invading uh, Iraq to remove Saddam Hussein while ha having no connection to Al-Qaeda and the terrorism that affected on 2001, September 11th, which is coming up in only a few short days, like really only eight days away from September 11th. That's just eerie. 20 years. Hard to believe it's been that long. But that really screwed up because the Americans then focused all their things on destroying Saddam Hussein's Iraq and turning that. And, and the difference is there, I think the Americans, partly because I think the Iraq invasion, the longer, the farther away from it happening and the more evidence we've seen, it seems like it was a more planned out operation of what the end goal was and what they were going to accept. Like Iraq sort of had a unifying society in it because it w had been a, a serious nation, even though it had been under Saddam Hussein's dictatorship for a considerable period of time, it at least had a central culture to it, a central uni unity feeling of, okay, I am Iraqi, at least had that. I don't know if Afghanistan ever really had that in the whole country. It maybe had that in regions, but I don't think it was a massive, like, you, you, did you fi feel proud, like, to Afghanistan citizens feel pride for being Afghani as opposed to the Iraqis who are like, yeah, I'm Iraqi. I guess that would be something that would be worth researching and finding out. Um, and that, of course, you know, the invasion of Iraq, taking the, the military minds off that and then giving the bureaucrats who were the second-tiered people who probably should have never been in charge of anything were suddenly thrown in charge of Afghanistan since... Not military operation, the political operations. And then, of course, squandered resources there. <sighs> so, who knows, who knows. Of course, now this brings up the question, should Europe have its own army now? Should it have its own unifying military force if they can't trust NATO and the United States to, up the, to keep track and communicate with them? Yeah. Uh, I don't think the EU having its own military forces out of the question after what it just saw. Now, the real question for the EU is, could they justify a creation of such military force if their only adversary right now is Russia, which is a peer adversary, but Russia has no way besides from only using nuclear weapons to actually face on Euro its European neighbors in a real battle? It would be heck. The assumption is the Americans are going to pull out of Europe for funding issues, and then the EU would grant I think that it would be very hard in the EU to make an argument for, what would be the phrase to say? Um, it'd be very, very difficult to force Spanish military personnel to serve in Poland to fight a Russian enemy. I don't, under the banner of being part of the European Union, I don't know if you could f actually do that that well. I don't think the parliament would be that cemented to do it. I think what you could do is you could create a bunch of, I mean, unfortunately, treaties. We know, we know how um, defense pact treaties can go. Right, we'll see what that happens. So will Afghanistan become a terrorist haven?
Now, only time will tell on that. This is one of those things where, unfortunately, the the meme slash like you know the the phrase that's overused many times. Only time will tell. <sighs> what can you do about it? But again, only time will tell. And I don't think what we've learned now is for the last 19 years, you really cannot force a nation to become what you want it to be. No matter how much power and money you throw into it, the populace have to want the outcome that you want if you're the invading force. If you're the invading force throwing the oppressors off and the populace are like, oh, sorry about that, and the populace are just like, you know, you know sort of like, like, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Like, okay, the Americans are in charge now. What, what does that mean? It's like, oh, we're still going to be farming goats. Okay, who cares? Who cares? It's that sort of thing where unless there's an effect felt at the lowest level, which is like, oh, things are going to get better now, and everyone agrees to that, or there's a other effect, um, which Nick from Ranger Up had on the Bad News Network today about the idea of how the United States population, outside of the families that sent people to, to serve, and unfortunately the military is now becoming a family tradition, which the only reason that's unfortunate is, is that, that the pool of people signing up is getting smaller and smaller, and a lot of people aren't experiencing it in the way that, uh, let's say, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam were experienced, which was more of a general draft. Grant, do you want a draft? Should we have mandatory military service in the United States and Canada? Duh. Or like some sort of, um, you know, service to the country where you get out of university or you get a high school school or maybe between high school and university or maybe after university or something. You go and do a year or two general work for your country. There's an argument to be made there. I'm not a real big fan of it from a libertarian standpoint, but from a unification of country and making everyone sacrifice a year or two for the betterment of their country oh, it, and learning more about their country and being like, hey, I'm part of this. It's probably a good thing. And I think when it comes to wartime, Nick said that should there be a special tax for when the country goes to war? And I think, yeah, there should be to both pay for the war and also as a way to remind the current day citizenry, this is what was voted for. And that war has to actually be declared versus authorization of military action. It needs to be a properly de declared war. Man, man, looking back at myself from 2001 all the way through to today and, like, my hot takes in the moment. I was right about some of them, but, boy, like, there are a lot of things where it's, like, I'm, I love military equipment. I love military weapon systems. I love the idea of armed forces defending countries. I am no longer a fan <laughs> of, like, just this, not just the, the idea of war, like, I'm not a fan of war itself, which is funny, because I love the equipment, and, like, oh, man, like, the, the uh, you know, playing video games, stuff like that, and that's where I'm at, but, but um, how am I going to cement this thought out? I guess what I'd say is... I'm much more hesitant about, like, as I've matured in my life, considerably more hesitant to the point of almost don't even want to consider it by sending somebody off to fight a war. I would rather that option 
if it has to come, it needs to be universally declared. Like, it has to be properly said. Everyone needs to understand there is going to be sacrifices and losses. It's one of those things where, like, um, the Coney 2012 event, <coughs> where you had a bunch of young people, and being that I was young back then, but... <coughs> 2012, I had already realized <laughs> my stance on this. Versus today, which um, is even more hardline than Coney 2012 was, about you must know everything. It is very easy to say, send the troops to fight, uh, send the boogeyman. It's much harder when they're coming back, uh, wounded, in, wounded, did psychologically, physically, um, you know, being disabled from losing arms, limbs, um, brain trauma, bod bodily trauma, muscle muscle trauma, and dead, and then saying we gotta pull them, we gotta pull them out. It's like you need to have a confirmed military objective. We must do X that is quantifiable for the layman. It can't just be well, we're we're doing this, 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 and it can't be a forty-five minute long PowerPoint. It needs to be. Did you do it? Yes, and can almost everyone look at it and say, yeah, that was it. That was what we wanted to get done. And I think that if we're going to promote the use of military force, you have to say, there are going to be casualties. People are going to die. Innocence is lost, has already been lost. Like, the declaration of war is the declaration that innocence is gone in this event. And I think if people realize that versus playing this way, and, and Nick Palmashano has it the right way, if the people at home don't feel discomfort or feel like the effects of this sacrifice and this conflict going on, do they really have an interest in it? And I think if the only time they have the interest in is when there's the dignified transfers going on um, or you know the people being brought down the highway of heroes in Canada and they see that in the news... That's a very emotional event to watch. But does that carry with you? Does that say, like, like, you know, there's the platitudes of that was somebody's son or daughter, that was somebody's husband or wife, you know, there, there's, a, there's somebody's parents. Um, you know, it's, it's terrible when that happens. But then do they go on about their lives, or do they think, I sent that man or woman to fight and they're dead are we getting what we want out of this and it's and it's also criticism of people who go oh send them send them send them and then the second something goes wrong bring them home bring them well not goes wrong but like somebody gets killed in conflict like you have to understand there are costs to want to fighting no not everyone can come home unscathed so, I think that's where I'm going. It kind of just sucks about what happened in Afghanistan. It's just really terrible. Um, what was it? We got like 140 to 160,000 people out in the two weeks from August 15th to August 31st when the last flight took off. But... We'll no doubt know over time that some of the people on those flights are bad people. Some of those on the flights were the people who shouldn't have come. Some And some of the people who should have absolutely been evacuated were left behind. This is a black mark on the American relationship with 
its citizenry, its allies, about how this is done. Everything went wrong here, here in that case. Yeah, we got 160 or so thousand people out of Afghanistan. And a lot of those people are probably the very intelligent, um, near the elites, I would say, of that country, the brains of that country, if they could form into a more modern society. So now they've lost that. Will they be able to actually step up to the world stage and be become a country that can progress towards the 22nd? towards the 21st and 22nd century towards our goals of mankind? Or are they going to be lost in religious fervor of the Taliban and Islamic extremism? It's terrifying to think about what that's going to be, how it's going to affect the world. And now, the other thing is geopolitically, how many allies are looking at the United States being like, you promised to back us when the worst comes to the worst. And we just saw what, what happened in Afghanistan. Can we trust you? Can we trust this administration right now? Is Taiwan looking at the United States and being like, jeez, oh, I need to buy more guns. I need to be ready. Like, if China moves, I might be fucked. Is Eastern Europe looking at that and saying, like, jeez, if Russia wants to fight, we're, we're kind of out of thing. thing. Is Ukraine looking at it like, jeez, American uh, advisors and equipment suppliers could pull out a moment's notice if it was just... If Joe Biden gets a and his administration get a hissy fit over this, like, there's a lot of moments of a lot of bad questions that are being asked now, and th it's bad be not because the questions are being asked, it's bad because what the answers possibly are. These are questions that shouldn't need to be asked. You've got the global superpower, and of course, people from the Biden administration keep saying, "Oh, the United States is the global superpower. It's the, the global hegemon of weapons." It's like you're saying that now more than you did when you ran the government, ran for it when Biden was running and insulting Donald Trump, who deserved a lot of the insults and BS. And the only way we could tell if Trump did better is if he did handle this. I think he maybe I will um with regards to Donald Trump in Afghanistan, I would probably secede the point that he would be much more militant towards the Taliban. Like, there would have been much heavier reprisals with the suicide bombing. He probably would have forced more forces in to Kabul and kept, um, and forced his military leaders to keep Bagram. But those are all probabilities because he wasn't in charge and we don't know. It's very easy to look back with 2020 hindsight and say that was a bad decision. And a lot of the world is looking back and being like, listen, I'm not in the military, but that seemed like a bad decision. And a lot of grunts and officers are looking at it who have either retired, um, one who, have, who was serving and then is now he's resigned his commission and been fired from his command. Uh, poor Lieutenant Colonel from the Marines who made some, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, realistically he knew what he was doing he knew he was becoming a martyr for something thing because you can't really question your command like that it's part of military cohesion but he could have resigned and then gave those remarks he wanted to go in a bang i think and not that i don't blame him so uh looking at what's happened it's like it's interesting how so many civilians and so many military people who are either serving or have served are like are in National Guard units or reserve units. Um, 
not active duty are saying the same thing like there's a lot of things here that just look like they were done wrong <sighs> and <sighs> what can I do what can I do so uh, let's move away from that to uh, the news that Top Gun Maverick is now being delayed again and part of it's part of the delay least Paramount saying the delay is because they expect this movie to be a billion plus dollar movie being it's a sequel to one of the like the best fighter jet movie of all time time um, the best naval aviation movie of all time and they want to make sure that the Delta variant and other COVID variants aren't going to damage the box office earnings of this movie and for that you really can't blame them and I mean they're just not that's kind of a hard thing to predict when COVID's going to be gone and when it's not going to be gone um, but I was watching C.W. Lemoyne, um, who was talking on it, who, he also had an amazing thing talking with, um, military pilots about what they feel about Afghanistan. That's an amazing thing to watch on YouTube is that little round table discussion that he hosted. Um, he said it sounded more like from the first 13 minutes that they showed at, um, a cinema convention a, f a few weeks ago that maybe they're re-editing some of the story of Top Gun Maverick because it sounds like um, basically what could have been it is the first opening is Maverick in the experimental unit program t is told that uh, he's not going to get fly anymore by Ed Harris's character who's the general in the admiral in charge of it he takes the super jet flies over the the uh, admiral's head and then goes to Mach 10.1 and explodes. And maybe that sci-fi thing of it and making a movie that way, making that the opening and then going into current day stuff doesn't sound like a great way to do Top Gun. If it wasn't a Top Gun movie, if it was more Tom Cruise as a fighter pilot, like experimental fighter pilot going back, and in Media Res, where we already we know he's dead, and then here's a story, or if this is a dream sequence, <coughs> good work better. But I don't think that's going to be a good movie for Talk on Maverick. It doesn't really fit that well. I could totally get behind the thing of like him being one of the best fighter pilots, thus being it, being a test pilot for the uh, U.S. Navy and Air Force. But that is a, as Lemoyne says, like that's a weird pathway. He would have had to have done that a while ago, and his age would have probably started to force him to retire out of that and all this other stuff. So that's my thought on that. Like I'm hoping it's the re-edited, not just like, and not just the COVID thing. So now it's back to May next year. So now it's been delayed two years. At least Bond is still happening so far, and at least it looks like um, Dune is going to be happening. Which at least that gives me two movies I really like that came out. And I went to see with my brother recently, um, Free Guy, and that was a really fun movie. Um, Ryan Reynolds, just like, it's not, it's sort of playing against the character of Deadpool, where it's just an every guy NPC in, in a in a multi massive multiplayer video game, <laughs> So that's sort of like Grand Theft Auto, and he's an NPC that then, you know, has 
real like you know breaks the code and there's a whole bunch of other stuff which is just very good and it was a it was a very fun movie and that was my first movie since the pandemic and Ma- Matthew and I went to go see that my brother and oh man I am um uh, it's just it's fun fun that was a fun 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 film just exactly what it needed to be and it was one of the better yeah one of the better <coughs> um <coughs> better <coughs> gosh better video game related movies out there it was up there with Wreck-It Ralph and Wreck-It Ralph was kind of the other way around where video game characters know their video game characters and we don't realize that they've got lives outside this was a, a kind of reverse take on that which was also very good uh, and there was a lot of good little cameos and stuff like that the TV trips page last time I looked at it which was post seeing the movie still wasn't completely filled out and I'm hoping that it's getting better and more filled out as days go on. Ah, and going back to COVID, now we've got uh, the Delta variant has been traveling through Alberta. And for the last two months, we didn't really have a lot of restrictions and mandates by the government. Well, now we do. It's come back. Um, need to mask indoors. At least there's no, uh, uh, at least there's no uh, gathering limit as of right now. At least the government hasn't told us a gathering limit. I, I would be shocked if tomorrow they don't change their mind and give some, like, has to be one-third capacity. But so far, I haven't heard it. Let's just see. Of course, um, oh, gosh. Uh, the city of Calgary is also going to do something for, uh, you know, they have just reactivated the, state of lo- the local state of emergency. Great. Amazing. That's all because literally 30% of the people... 30% of Albertans who are eligible for the vaccine don't have it, aren't taking it, have not gotten both shots. So the issue is here is that's a hump that is very hard to get over. And it seems to be historically like you can never get 100% of people to do everything. There's no way you can get 100% of people to agree on anything in the world. And the odds that you're going to get this is just like beating this is that and they're, of course, trying to do this stupid, like, saying, oh, we're getting all this. We've got, like, like um, the numbers are going up. And, unfortunately, it is this, uh, you know, they're putting in all these things. I love how they use um, the, the news media uses these expert, like, official, okay, not experts. I just misread that. Officials expect Friday measures to be enough to keep COVID from overrunning the hospital system. Um, so I was thinking about this, t- and it was more like an IT slash computer thought, as well as a lot of business will say this. If something's wrong with the system, and it's just how the system's designed, you usually work to replace the system versus saying like, okay, here's a flaw in the system, let's work around it. Versus, we found a flaw in the system that's making it very hard to be good. Let's get, let's like fix the flaw. And if the flaw is we don't have enough ICU beds to handle this case, this situation, why don't we start doing this? Also note that we're having extremely high numbers, like, you know, what, five, 600 people a day are getting it. And I want to know, this is something I, I would like to know, and I've not heard about it. Now, if I'm completely making shots in the dark, and I absolutely could be here, I'm not saying this is true. In fact, I would, I would only like to know how many COVID tests are false positive? 
What is the evidence of that? I would just like to know the, the scores. How many times when they release the daily test numbers of people who have it, how many of those are unfortunately like, nope, we don't know. Like, and the other stupid thing is like the alcohol service ending at 10 p.m. Like, that's, is that going to stop COVID-19 from spreading? Business, licensed businesses stopping to sell alcohol at 10, a, 10 p.m.? I said 10 a.m. at the start, didn't I? It's 10 p.m. What's that going to do? Honestly. What's limiting alcohol consumption going to do to stopping COVID-19 spread? It's like, just they're literally just throwing everything at the wall and hoping something sticks. And we're having this thing where our ICU is at 95%. Well, apparently we don't have that many beds. We do. Build more hospitals. Oh, but we also would be better if we had private hospitals. Now they're delaying, of course, non-essential surgeries, which might have a damaging effect. But yeah, I, I, they're fighting as they're trying to get the vaccination rates higher than the UK. Because the UK, their Delta Swarm is pretty much over now. And I think ours will be done in maybe a month. Granted, there's certain other things that has to happen. And, of course, uh, the people who are at least just saying vaccine hesitant. But there's, again, a lot of reasons why people don't want to get vaccinated. I don't... I. I don't like people saying all these people who are not getting vaccinated are completely like, you know, anti-vax. Some of them are hesitant. Some of them don't trust the long-term effects. Some might have very legitimate questions. It's also interesting how at one point PhDs were the least vaccinated group of the educated people. I don't think that's uh, the issues anymore. But uh, yeah, delaying non-urgent surgeries. Well, I think if you're needing a surgery, unless it's for a cosmetic, I'm fairly certain there's an urgency about it. You can maybe delay with medication, but uh, not a good idea. And now there's an incentive program, um, of course, for $100, which is, I, I mean, I'm fine with that, but that's just taxpayer money. These people have already paid for it, now they're going to pay again. Of course, the city of Calgary is like, oh, we're going to look at all our tool, tools in the toolbox for the local state of emergency. Oh, gosh, not her. One of the people who's in who's like pushing this very heavily. This municipal mass mandate. That's just. It's just. It doesn't. I don't know why the mass mandate thinks this is going to be the number one thing. Vaccinations, and um, there's evidence now that we shouldn't have even locked down from the first place. We should have allowed COVID to, we should have protected the population that was extremely ill, the immunocompromised, the elderly. We should have protected them, <coughs> but we should have allowed COVID to f literally cycle through our society. There's arguments now that that may have been the proper thing to do. Now, I'm not a big fan of that, but they're saying that we did not, we were not able to reach herd immunity at the speed that would have made sense. Oh, it's omnidirectional. Interesting. <sighs> but what can you do about COVID-19? Or now, COVID-20. Is that stupid, stupid COVID-like pandemic horror movie that was done by Michael Bay's projection? Is that freaking going to be partially true? 
I love it's like, wearing masks in crowded area, maintain physical distancing. At least they're going physical distancing again. Somebody finally told them, like, social distancing it is harmful to people. You know, I think if we hadn't done anything and let this virus just ramp through us, we probably would have had the three spikes. One spike would have been bad, second spike would have been worse, third spike would have been over. I think that because we slowed it down so much, it was able to adapt so quick, it was able to mutate around the world so quickly. And now it's just the thing of it just keeps mutating. So every time we think we got a handle on one, there's another group that it was slowly being re reintroduced to, and now it's <laughs> mutating there. Versus, hey, everyone got it in a short period of time, or at least the people who could easily survive it got it and got through with it. Will we need boosters? I don't know. There's going to have to be evidence for that. Pfizer's now making pills. They want us to take pills and shots. Will that work? Maybe. It's just, yeah. It's crazy how the Americans are getting to the point where they might very well be exiting... Delta, just like North America, just like, I mean, Europe and UK is. But now we're seeing it rise in Canada, and we're doing a bunch of other stuff. It's just, we don't seem to be getting ahead of it, because I don't think the people in charge understand what they're doing, and understand how to get ahead of it. That's my opinion. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Talk to your doctors, seriously, like, if you're concerned about getting a vaccine or something, you need to speak with your doctors who understand your medical condition more than just reading forms on the internet. I am an advocate for vaccinations. I would rather have people be inoculated with safe va vaccines that keep that protect them. And I do want to say safe vaccines that have been proven safe. We took a risk on Pfizer, bio, Biotech's Pfizer, is there Moderna, Johnson & Johnson? We don't know the long-term effects of these, of these vaccines. Maybe they'll be great. Maybe they won't be. Uh, only time will tell again on that. So we'll have to see. Whew. And what else? Ooh, I've been playing some Mercenaries 2 recently. Got a kick to play that on uh, PC. Been having fun there. Ugh. I was reading the Mercenaries uh, TV Tropes page. Boy, that uh, <laughs> that's fun to read. I uh, got my hands on Battletech and had a friend give me Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries, which I just can't wait to play. I used to be such a big Mech Warrior fan, and I, I do like the games. I just haven't gotten around to playing them yet. Um, you just need to play Prey as well. Um, Got to get back into Resident Evil 7. What else have I p been playing? Um, oh yeah, Freedom Fighters uh, that came out on GOG. I mean, it's I think it's all, it's on Steam. I'm fairly certain, um, and it might be on the Epic Store as well. But it's pff, the EA game from the or like 2005 Freedom Fighters. Uh, IO Tech, uh, IO Interactive got it back again, and it's like after they left Square Enix, and I'm just like wow, um, I forgot about this game. Uh, the soundtrack's used in Command & Conquer Journal's Rise of the Reds uh, mod, which makes the, makes the soundtrack just great. And always, like, I always knew that soundtrack. Just did not play it, and it is interesting. Um, some modders need to work on fixing the scaling of the uh, resolution for the menus. You can really only play it at 1080p, 
any higher in the menu, so like squinting size. Uh, but it's it holds up. Like the AI holds up pretty well. Pathfinding is extremely good. It's really funny watching a th four, playing a four gigabyte game from 2005 and being like, there are 70 gigabyte games today where the AI is not that smart at walking around. And there's less obstacles. Yeah. 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 Although that also reminds me of Mercenaries 2, which was, uh, was it like late 2006 or whatever? It was in the Xbox uh, day, Xbox 360 days. <coughs> and um, how you could call in uh, your reinforcements from an allied uh, faction to take over a, an enemy outpost during one of those outpost operations. And uh, Ben Yatsi Grusha uh, from Zero Punctuation said that one time he did that. Uh, all these soldiers got out of the helicopter, fell off the, uh, <laughs> fell off the helipad, and died. Not helpful at all, but really funny. And I, the one I've been playing, I've been doing that. And the pad, I'm fairly certain that that normally would happen on. Didn't ha it didn't happen to me. They actually fell off, didn't die, and kept going. But that might have also been because I had cleared all the enemies out of the compound beforehand. But still, it was really funny to watch from my helicopter that happening. And then there's that one level I'm refusing to play, but it's where you have to get a spy. And he's at the top of a building, and you're supposed to fly up there and pick him up and get out of there. But there's glitches where if uh, he might realize who you are before you get there and walk off the building as you're just getting close to it and kill himself. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. What was another game? Oh, jeez. Um, I was watching something. Um, oh, man. There's another game I have in my inventory or it's on, like, my wish list, which I just remember reading a review of it, where um, I'll have to look for it. It was just a really thing where, um, yeah, I'll have to look it up. It just had a very interesting phrase about uh, the game, about how, yeah, I'll have to look that up. Okay. I guess that will remain a mystery until I find out my next episode, what my plans are. Um, so I guess we should call it here. It's been about, you know, 50 minutes almost. 46, really. But we're getting close up there. And things have been slow, and hopefully I will be able to speed up. Just been, yeah, haven't been feeling it sort of thing in Afghanistan and all this stuff happening. Way more important stuff to do than me just mouthing off into a microphone here. here. But, uh, you know, as I, 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 you know, this one, if only we took the opium. Tried to make up a good, funny title, and at one point I'm just like, I can't do levity of it. Like, <laughs> the only f joke I can have about Afghanistan is literally, if only we took the opium. Because at least we'd all be high right now. Or at least we'd be dealing with, um, all our pain illnesses could be at least a little bit reduced while we all develop crippling addiction to opioids, which is not funny at all. So uh, let's clear this one out. Let's all go home. Let's enjoy the Labor Day weekend. 
and the fat cat union gangsters, as Hermes would say, who f thrust it down our throat, and the idea that somehow it was communist as well. I just think that uh, a lot of people really give credit to Labor Day for a lot of things that aren't there. Of course, I'm working on Labor Day because I like giving my employees time off. And I don't mind that because it's a four-hour shift versus a full-day shift. And frankly, a lot of my friends are really busy doing other stuff anyway. Uh, they either have families or other operations and other going-ons that are happening. And so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. So, yeah, uh, let's call it there. And uh, thank you for tuning in again. This was Season 4, Episode 13, If Only We Took the Opium. And I will see you so all soon. Hopefully next week, maybe the week after that. Thank you and good night. Bye.